Yep. It's quite amazing. Uh, flag gang, 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 gang. Ask not what your cosplay can do for you. Yo, what's up, Haas boys? Coming at you tonight, I got Mike on my left. What's up, Mike? Yo, <laughs> you don't start with me. Do I not? No, it's always Max on my right. Oh, shoot. I, I pay attention <laughs> oh, to when my different. name is called and I say, yeah, hi. It's my fault. It's my fault. So you're on more of a loop for these uh, intros. Yeah, is that what I'm hearing? I was You're not actually listening to the words. No. It's just first break comes, Max <laughs> talks, second break comes. And when there's a long pause, it's me, clearly. Right, at right, that right. Point. And then do you, you just plan to fill the long pauses with things that you've already got in your head? 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I operate. So not, it's not how you guys work. Yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> do you memorize your whole script for the podcast before? Y yeah. That's impressive. That's crazy. I, I mean, you know, it's just <laughs> You're part of the skilled. day. You are pretty skilled. Little, guy. Did, little did you know, listeners, we have writers and every episode is scripted. It is, yeah. But each of us has a different script. <laughs> we just go in a circle and every time there's silence, we just start going through the script. Huh, Mike? So yesterday, <laughs> I had tacos. <laughs> I had tacos. <laughs> Uh, guys, before we get going, we've got something to address, which is your beloved Haas boys. We called it. Called it. We called it. Haas has points. Haas has points. What else did we call? We all. So that's the first thing we called. Second thing we called was some news that we got last week, but didn't address in last week's episode. Because we were just too excited about everything else. Because you were so excited we about everything else. We were so stuck else. with the script, so which was yeah. established before stuck the Stuck with news. calling our yeah. shots. Yeah, and we were so <laughs> stuck in the script, man. But we, went, we all went to a Tony Robbins conference and we're all just so much freer. We just are able to express ourselves in no scripts tonight. So what else did we call, Mike? Vegas, baby. Mm. You it's going to be car? great. I can't believe that they announced it's going to be right down the strip. Close to us. It's brilliant. It's extremely close to us. It's extremely Holy on the strip. Crap. That uh, circuit looks fun. And So if you're planning on going, make sure to buy your, reserve your hotel room like a month or two before. I would even, yeah. I would almost even say. Or now. As much in advance we as gotta We got to get those rooms. We got to play down the hype. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah, book yeah. them. You Jeez, need at guys, least a month. The price notice. just went up like crazy. <laughs> Shoot. Book them at least 24 hours in advance. <laughs> and inflation by next year, we're yeah. looking at like a small mortgage for one yeah. of those puppies. Hey, you're right. Yeah. <sighs> You'll still be able to afford it because wages rise. Well, yeah. So always. nothing to worry about. <laughs> Book them 24 hours in advance. Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc work at McDonald's right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's how they've been able to afford to continue. You know, and it's funny. We're actually going to get into that in this episode, which is how much are these F1 drivers making? I can't wait for that. I, I can't either, but we just had to put that nail in the coffin we called it, boys. And Vegas we is going to be great. We called it. Yeah. Going to be an epic race. Super cool venue. Yeah. And I mean, it's Vegas. Yeah. The amount of excitement from the drivers, like just the reactions, if any of you heard any of it. I mean, there's a lot of funny comments and a lot of real ones, but it, it is on the West Coast. It's a big deal. I mean, it is the lights and everything. It is yeah. just its own thing. So I'm yeah. really excited about it. I think visually it'd be amazing. There's going to be some cool events surrounding that race too, because there's a lot of motorsport that happens in the Western United States. 
that just doesn't really get touched by these F1 drivers generally during the season. And so I'm sure there's going to be tons of little circuit races or things like that around uh, in the desert and things like that. So uh, really exciting time to be a fan in the U.S. Especially, yeah, especially right now, there are going to be three races in our country. This is kind of like a dream circuit, isn't it? At I least for me. So. Especially for us living in the Western United States, this is a very exciting track to have. It's huge. And we've got a question coming in from Nicholas from Corvallis, Oregon. And he writes in, what racetrack, not including the Indianapolis Speedway in the USA, would you like to see F1 race at? Mm -hmm. Street courses only. Whoa, great question, Nicholas. I wouldn't see them. I wouldn't see them taking on a, an oval. So no. I think street courses yeah. uh, is a is a really a good way to go there. If you wanted to get worldwide fans to hate America, you'd put F one on an oval. Yeah, that right. would be the end of <laughs> it. Would be the end of the world. Uh, that's a fun question. The tracks they have added, like if you cut America in half horizontally, it's like Las Vegas, Austin, and Miami are all at the bottom of the map. Yeah. So it'd be cool to, for me to highlight some more like northern areas. Okay. Um, Denver would be cool. Mountainy mm. type of landscapes. Yeah, Utah. Um, I think that'd be cool. I don't, are there tracks in Denver? I assume. Well, it, especially if we're talking, you know, interpretation of street circuit, does that mean road course or street circuit? And just to give a small definition here, road course is a, you know, a left and right racetrack. And a street circuit is on the streets that we use. So gotcha. like Monaco is a street circuit where Watkins, Glen, Sonoma, or, or, you know, Coda. Coda is a road course. Right, mm. right. And so Vegas is the first U.S. street circuit. Mm. Uh, Miami is technically going to be a street circuit, but it races kind of through and around the football stadium they just built. Oh, uh, cool. To my understanding. So it's kind of Go like- Dolphins. A, it's kind of a parking lot mm. race. Mm. is sort of how it's built as opposed to uh -huh. being like public roads. But it, again, it will be mm. when they take the barriers down. So yeah, I think a, a fun foresty city. Denver's not really in the forest. I don't know. Like it's a large Jackson misconception. Hole, Jackson Hole or like somewhere in Montana. I just think gorgeous mountains and pine trees would be a cool backdrop to yeah. represent America. That's my somewhere in the Northwest. Oh yeah. Yeah, Portland, Seattle, yeah. Yeah. New York. Yeah. is another like great northeastern place that it would be would incredible be cool to showcase yeah. the concrete jungle would be a great host to an f1 race and that's not too unusual for f1 to do a race that is near-ish a big city but pretty well out of town and i think about it like an upstate new york or something mm. which would be two hours away from the city mm -hmm. i'm sure there's some cool there's some cool tracks up there i was just kind of thinking i'm like well do we do them outside of big cities and like yeah I mean, Monza is a tiny city near yeah. Milan, but it's tiny. Any yeah. like Silverstone, like most of these are not within an hour of a city, right? <clears throat> if we're kind of sticking to the interpretation of a street circuit, my mind immediately goes to Long Beach, which just happened yeah. this past weekend. Uh, the IndyCar race at Long Beach, which uh, is a really cool circuit that runs through the city. They've been doing it for a long time, and Formula One has run in Long Beach in the past. Cool. So I would love to see them on that course. Yeah, oh. uh, they've they've changed the course slightly over the years. Is that down by the convention center? It is, and um, you know the big cylinder with all the whales painted on it and stuff like oh, that. Oh, of it's course. For, you know, it's down there. 
um, and it oh, runs no down kidding. Shoreline Drive, and, and it's really cool. And they go past the fountain now. They they didn't used to. No way. I used to work there like once a month. Really? In that building that has the whale murals on it. Oh, cool. I was just thinking that because it's pretty wide streets there in downtown Long Beach, and then vast parking lot <laughs> like yeah. down by the yeah for sure down by the beach. I have my nostalgic ties. That's where it all began for me. That's mm. you know Long Beach has its place you in my heart. Grew up near LA. Yeah. And we're going Going down there for IndyCar. Yeah, going down for IndyCar. My dad participated in a celebrity, uh, pro celebrity race with so Toyota. Cool. Oh, your dad is that Schwarzenegger. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 So, Michael Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Carlos Schwarzenegger. <laughs> um, but it was, you but know. But I call him dad. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, that's a huge turning point in my childhood of, you know, being able to go to the track with my dad and stuff like that. So Long Beach plays a really important part. But if we're talking circuits that aren't street circuits, but road yeah. courses. Yeah, yeah, what are some good ones, Mike? I would I love know. Laguna Seca, which is Where Northern is California. Okay. And uh, it's a little bit closer to like Monterey area. So coastal, just south of mm. kind of the Bay Area. And IndyCar just put it back on the calendar. It's a track that's gone long time history, but it's really well known for the corkscrew turn. And oh, classic. You, you might, you, do you, do you <laughs> I have actually? No idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really iconic. We'll put a picture in show notes as Parker's signature line oh, no, here look at that. to show you what the corkscrew looks like. But it is a pretty steep cool. drop right than left. Oh, that's freaky. So oh, it's the opposite wow. of Eroge in Spa, where you have that really steep uphill. This is dramatic it is a very steep incline mm. and it's like something like three stories or something um Gosh. so really cool circuit i would love to see formula one take it on no one could probably pass in this corner in an f1 car because it is just... they're made to go upside down <laughs> it's just volatile how steep Crazy. that is you know so it's and that and it's cambered too so when you go left it kind of dips that way and mm. then when you go right you go off camber a little bit oh wow so that really cool. That is really cool. Mm. And it kind of, you know, that makes sense as to why they call it the corkscrew. Right? Yeah, kinda totally. just twists. I'm looking at this track and it looks like there's a ton of infrastructure. Like it could probably handle a race. Yeah. And I mean, and it Who, does now. Who's racing there? Um, IndyCar races there. They do do some sports car championships <laughs> there. A lot of like vintage racing because Monterey is so close. So when they do car week, they bust out all the old Porsches and you know, Ford Lamar cars yeah. and they go out and they run them on that track. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I feel like it has a lot of heritage, a lot of history in our, in our country. And, but they, you know, a lot of these car collectors that live in the U S that buy some of this old heritage, I, I, it, 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 to me, it is tied to Europe already in my, mm -hmm. in my mind. So mm -hmm. it'd be really cool to see, you know, the pinnacle of European racing and in the globe as well, but kind of take on Laguna and just see what, what kind of racing it produces. Yeah. I could see the U S even investing big, you know, some city that really wanted to attract people investing a bunch of money and building a track over the next four or five years. If F1 continues to gain popularity in the U S they just did it in Miami. Right. Yeah. And Miami's the perfect example yeah. of a super hungry city. Crazy. That like is doing kind of a side note, but is doing tons of stuff to attract business. Mm. Miami's going to be one of the biggest cities. It's not now mm. like, Economically, it's like a fun, it's like a party city, but economically, it's not a big city in the US. 
but the mayor that's there right now is just doing tons to attract and people think that it's going to be like the new silicon valley along with austin in the mm. next in the next five and six years that was what i was going to say the next place for a street circuit that my mind goes to would be san francisco we just have a lot of california uh, tracks i think it would be amazing to see them race Cla- across the golden gate bridge though. mike you were born in california mike you <laughs> grew up in california i like, I like san francisco <laughs> But the government of San Francisco Garbage. is, and yeah. I just can't even ever see them being like, "Oh yeah, let's do something fun," because they just think they have it made in the shade, yeah, and they just make things hard for no, everybody. And and the thought of cars going fast in San Francisco is laughable. Well, also because yeah, there's just there's nowhere to make it happen. Commuting right. into San Francisco from Oakland is a joke. Yeah. So the Ken Block Jim Connor thing is where my mind goes. Mm, here. Where did he do anything up there? Yeah, he shut down the city. Um, in San Francisco? You know, they did it in segments, but they closed bridges and he was drifting up freeway exits best. and stuff. And it was really cool. Yeah, yeah, launching over tall streets that have the kind of square point at the top. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, you've seen some Teslas recently try that. But Oh, uh, oh was it? I thought it was LA. It might have been LA, but I thought oh, okay. it was San Francisco. You know, you whatever. Can, you can really tell how heavy that car is. When that thing hits the ground. Kerplunk. Kerplunk. So there's lots of in California. We've talked about the East Coast. I don't know. Final thoughts. Is there like one in the Midwest that maybe NASCAR could... Minnesota? I don't know. Like it seems like NASCAR kind of runs a lot of the Midwest Southern type of like states. Is there cool tracks in there? Are they all ovals? I mean, for the most part, there's a substantial amount of ovals in the South. So Alabama, Talladega is the super speedway. Short tracks and things Mm -hmm. like that. But as far as like even a lot of the road courses, Coda is like one of the first and again, Circuit of the Americas. I apologize. Mm -hmm. I forget that people might not recognize the acronym, but Coda is a one of the first road courses that's in that part of the country. Mm. I would think that a really cool, yeah, the Chicago has put their hat in the ring to host a street circuit NASCAR race. That would be fun. And so that's coming. That's something that they have announced. And so, right on. you know, Nashville is now hosting an IndyCar race in their streets. Chicago is hosting wow, a street circuit. And a lot of these IndyCar tracks can be can double as an F1 track. Uh, I mean, pretty easily. The, you know, the main focus for FIA scrutiny is to be A, safe, and B, if they have the space for the paddock, because they do come in small hotels. Yeah. When they, when they arrive at the track. So you just got to be able to function as an F1 organization in the paddock for that race circuit. And really quickly, what changes would need to be made for an F1 race to be done on an IndyCar race besides the things you just mentioned as far as like curbs and like paint on the, on the track? Pretty much nothing. If you look at Circuit of the Americas and the way that they run it as a IndyCar race, it's no different. I think that the main thing is is that that facility was built with the intention of being approved by the FIA as a racetrack for Formula One. Gotcha, gotcha. So much like the Miami circuit, which its intention from fruition was F1. Mm. And I think that like with Laguna Seca, it's dated, it's an older circuit. So there might need to be some updating. But for the most part, I think it's finer details that are kind of just 
to their liking. Yeah. Man, well, such a good question, Nicholas. Thanks so much for asking. And uh, we're thinking about this all the time here at Haas Boys because we see a bright future for uh, F1 in America. The one thing that I've, yeah. I've seen a lot on the internet in reaction to us getting more races is that the people are kind of like, you're, you're going to make it in an American sport. No, there's no way that'll happen. <laughs> no, it won't. And the, the other side of it is, is that majority of the calendars in Europe and I think it's hard to recognize sometimes that Europe and the U.S. are kind of similar. Yeah. They cover a vast amount of geographical space and a lot of different culture. Yeah. And the United States is very similar in that way. So if we have three or four races, I think it'll be okay. Yeah, you're going to be fine. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to change the sport dramatically. I really don't. You're going to Saudi Arabia and Australia. Yeah. I don't see like, anyone... Nobody's f- saying that it's going to become an Australian sport. Right. Um, yeah. I'm all for it. I agree that I wouldn't want the majority of the calendar here, as I don't think that we have that same historical appeal. I don't think that'll happen either. So yeah, it'll never happen. No. Just a quick side note. Do, are, do they ship cars over or do they fly them? Fly them. They, okay, so they can put everything on a plane. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Shifting gears, Australia. It was a pretty fun race, not quite as uh, eventful as the past two, but uh, we got a lot of cool information about Haas and they had a pretty solid race. Let's get some immediate impressions. Max. It didn't end good for Haas. We had, yeah. Well, we didn't get points, which is, you know, but um, we're still out four points. We're still out getting points. We're going to get more points. If Kevin Magnuson had just hit that uh, pit stop at that safety car, he could have ended up in the points. You know, it was that pit stop that did it in. And it was probably a risk staying out, hoping for another safety car, which is a pretty good thing to wait for. I feel like a lot of people were crashing and skidding off the track, you know. Something that he said in an interview, they reviewed what the strategy was for the race. And they talked about how they started on the hard tire, which was an opposite strategy to everyone around them because they felt that the pace of the car was strong enough Mm -hmm. to overcome the tire's lack of grip for the opening stint. And essentially, the timing of the safety car is what screwed up this He was just in the wrong place on the track. Yeah, and and essentially, they knew they were gambling something here, but they were hoping that if the safety car came, it was either A, later in the race, or B, not at all. Right. And if they had played that strategy correctly and run that tire without a safety car, then they would have switched to mediums and Kevin would have been podium potential. Mm. Yeah, Because there was one point where Kevin was on like really old crappy tires and he was keeping up with, I want to say the Mercedes or whoever was around him at the time. Like he was keeping up. I think he was keeping up with Alonzo, wasn't he? And that was the Maybe. car that was- He overtook Alonzo. Challenging for, he did. for pull. And he was keeping up with him yeah. on 50 lap old tires. It's obvious that the car and the driver are competitive and it just came down to just one of those bad timings, but he was still right on the bleeding edge of that bad timing. Yeah. Like it's not like he was yeah. way off and it was like, eh, maybe if they got a pit, but it's like, if that went perfectly, we really could have seen points. Mick, not quite as much. Where did we finish? Uh, 12th or 13th? <laughs> <laughs> 13th 13th and 14th 13th and 14th okay so we finished 13th and 14th which is not that far out of the points we've no. definitely had no, worse races good yeah. for Mick a little 
Is that his highest he's finished so far? No, 12th. Okay. Did he finish just out of the points? Here. <laughs> 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 uh, Magnuson had an amazing great start great start and then like a, a kind of an exciting finish after his pit stop yeah in last place steadily passing a lot of people yeah okay so Mick Schumacher's highest is 11th so 11th. far yeah he can get points soon yeah but it was happen. fun watching Magnuson Captain Magnuson just sail past people yeah slowly yeah the Haas has great pace Great pace, really competitive this race. I don't see this race as a big loss. I really don't. I see it as like kind of a valley to those peaks that we're mm. seeing. And if that's our valley, that's mm -hmm. a really awesome yeah. low point to have. And it gives us really good info of how does Haas race at their lowest point? Because we saw Kevin on old tires mm -hmm. keeping up with these guys. The car is obviously good. The driver is good. And I think we can only go be get better. I think it, it, comparing your valleys and peaks to McLaren is a really good way to say this. I, I actually think that McLaren is the opposite car of the Haas. In what ways? When McLaren they push the gas, it goes in reverse. <laughs> it goes back. When yeah, they push the brakes, yeah, it goes brakes. forward. Yeah, so the drivers are really mixed up. That's why Daniel's had a hard well, time. Well, that's, you know, Dan Under finally got him into the points. <laughs> you kind of expect these teams to do right. something weird like that. Yeah. Just so when they, oh, they get have. rid of the drivers that they're a little bit useless. <laughs> like yeah. do something wacko on the steering or something like that. So when they go farmed off to another team, they're like not so good on the other team. <laughs> so <Yeah. many. laughs> Mess with them. Yeah. No, but the I think the McLaren is was really strong in Australia, but it wasn't strong at either of the previous two no. tracks. And where Haas was really strong in those two tracks. Mm, okay. And I still Australia. think that the Haas car was fairly good in Australia. They wanted to gamble a little bit on strategy to try to overcome some of their disadvantage. Yeah. But I think that what we're going to see is that the battle with McLaren that Haas is going to be in this year is that they are going to valley and peak each other. So McLaren's going to be a little better at some tracks and Haas is going to be better at some tracks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I thought that uh, this weekend, again, we you know was a strategy play. Kevin ended up off the track because he almost ran into Sonoda at one point, which I think affected a little bit of his tires and some Who other things. Who almost hit someone? Carlos. It was Mick. He threaded the needle between, right between the hosses. Kevin, yeah. That was crazy. That was a really wild start to the race. And I mean... I feel, I, it's hard to say that you feel bad for an F1 driver, so I feel like I need to change my terminology there, but rough race for Carlos. Uh, yeah. I think his day is coming. For sure. He will uh, see his glory day in the Hassan. He will see his glory days. <laughs> the, car, the, car, the car was good on today. It just didn't have the, the grip and the steering wheel was malfunctioning. I think next time we'll have a better car and uh, we'll be able to keep up with Charles. Did he sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow? Somewhere <laughs> over the rainbow. Smooth. Real pie. <laughs> I drive no, a golf. No, we do like some... <laughs> With three races in, I don't know if these tracks are that different from each other, but like, what are what are Haas's strengths and disadvantages from what we've seen so far after Australian Grand Prix? Yeah. Is I'm, that a good question? Can we even answer that? Yeah. I think, well, we've asked it every episode. And I think yeah. we keep asking. I think we just keep asking Mike that. 
Yeah. Well, Mike, <laughs> the data is please there, answer my us. friends. Please answer us. Well, I think we're seeing that uh, when the car is upside down, it's not as good as their mm. competitors. It doesn't go as fast. It doesn't Downforce go as fast hard. when it's on the underside of the world. Right, mm. right. Yeah, and gra- we do need to take that into account. The gravity is different there. Yeah. Toilets flush backwards. Fuel is going to enter the engine differently. Right. Yeah. Fuel en- enters the engine from the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the top. Exactly. Which some of these cars are not as set up for. Yeah, they just turn (laughs) into Subarus. They suck it up from the ground. Yeah, they just get the petroleum straight from the earth. But uh, no, I think even just as we talk about Haas, we talk about these other teams. Ferrari's obviously the strongest team this season. And as such, Haas is sharing power plant and has shared we'll, we'll say some capacity what the car is made staff of staff and theory i'm yeah, sure some some elements yeah so haas is in a really good position there the teams that are suffering the most if we're talking verstappen right now he's one for three finishing and, right yeah reigning world champion has won a race and dnf'd twice right red bull is not in a good spot yeah, but the only thing that I feel like right now that I have to, I don't love this. And normally, I'd n- I'm not much of a hater on teams, but I, I, this this really bothers me. Why does Red Bull not love Checo enough to say, "Oh man, great result, P two"? <laughs> right. We all watched the race together, where Mike was pointing this out to us. Where with all these other race, you know, drivers when they hit a podium, it's like. Oh, Great race! You know, the, the driver's like, okay, I'd like to thank my mom and the guy that delivered my milk this morning and uh, my third grade teacher. And with Checo, it's like, P3, great race, Checo. Yeah, P2, Checo, good job. Right. Uh, it was crappy what happened to Max, huh? Yeah, I know. Yeah, we had a long chat <laughs> about that. Checo comes over the radio and he's just like, yeah, crappy race for <laughs> Max, but uh, thank you guys. Dude, he's, you just got P2, he's bro. P2. He, this guy was finishing off the podium every week, and maybe he's just too comfortable now. And right. a, a win is the only acceptable mm. option. I mean, yeah. success is just so fleeting for these guys. It's just, they're just so used to it now, they don't even care. Yeah. Right. We, uh, we were talking about how Valtteri, Mike was telling us about how Valtteri uh, took that to the extreme of actually selling the majority of his <laughs> trophies for he's, podiums. He sold his trophies on eBay. Yeah. It blew my mind. That's crazy. That's yeah, Mike, still so crazy. Mike was telling us that uh, his team's like, hey, could you bring some of these trophies uh, to this blank blank? And he's like, uh, I sold them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just couldn't even believe it. And honestly. Good money. I, I mean, more power to him. What an interesting way to kind of be like, I don't know, he's going to take up space. And there's some trophies I care about, but not all right. of them. Which uh, brings us to the other subject we wanted to hit on this episode, which is what are these drivers making? Let's talk about salaries in F1. Chutching. We've obviously got a huge range of salaries in F1. We've got some of the most wealthy athletes that have ever existed. Our drivers in F1, Michael Schumacher, Lewis, Max is up there. I think those guys are in the top 25 highest paid athletes of all time in any sport. But also we've got guys that are paying to be there and kind of everything in between. So what can you tell us about that, Mike? Well, one of the things that was so crazy is just the level of money that these guys were making at their peaks. But 
even more so in the era of Michael Schumacher. I, I, he got paid an absurd amount of money. Which, which was largely his creation, right? Right. He pioneered getting paid a ton of money in F1. <laughs> They're like Senna. What a pioneer. He yeah. was the first guy to just want to get money. Just yeah. to really get money, though. <laughs> he yeah. showed us the way. And, and Yuki should notice the way. That's a, that's a good one. Thanks. Yeah, we'll have to throw that in the an hour. To put it into perspective, he was making 30 million pounds a year in 1999. Holy cow. So that's 23 years ago. 30 a year. A year. There's a 21 million pounds salary with a 9 million pound private endorsement coupled with it. Plus plus bonuses. Pounds is basically like double. You double that, you get US dollars. Right. One and a half, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. His salary really got insane. Lewis Hamilton these days in 2021 made 62 million in US dollars. One year. In one year. And that's again coupled with his salary and 7 million in race winnings. And his masterclass endorsement. <laughs> yeah, all the, all the <laughs> things he's got going on. Lewis is extremely highly paid. When, uh, when Vettel... Album sells with Christina Aguilera. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely... <laughs> In there. About 30 million from that. Yeah. Little. Pipe paid out. <laughs> pipe. <laughs> you know, Vettel was making a lot of money at Ferrari. He was making a lot of money at Red Bull as he was winning titles and was up there competing with Lewis for highest paid F1 driver. Since has changed a little bit. Mm -hmm. But one thing that's really kind of interesting, and especially in the era of Michael Schumacher, is... Michael. <laughs> Michael. It's not a trick, Michael. It's an illusion. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> What's insane is the deficit, I guess. The gap. Yeah, between a starting driver in Formula One and the cream of the crop. Let's walk that through kind of beginning to end. So guys are coming up from karting, whatever it is. We talked about this a lot in an earlier episode where they're paying for themselves. Then they'll get small in-town sponsorships. And then, you know, once they're up on the F3, F2, they're getting international sponsorships from international companies. They're probably running under a company banner at that point. And then we go into F1. Let's talk about what's the breadth of situations that somebody can be in year one. We've got kids that are paying. Right. Dad has bought the team. Yeah. That's one case, real case. Or dad has bought the majority share of a team and these kids are being paid just as like a token salary. So basically are paying to play. And then we've got, as kids enter, they're going to be in car number two. Right. Which for those that don't know, every team kind of has first chair and second chair. Yeah. Primary which first chair is getting, they're developing the car around the primary driver. And then the secondary driver, you know, isn't getting the short stick, but are not getting all the advantages. And so these new kids are coming in as second driver. And where did they go from there? Like, what does that first year look like? And then where can it end? You know, to put it into kind of a simple term and something that was interesting to me, at least, that I I kind of felt like you. I thought to my my knowledge, why would a pay for a driver be getting a salary at all? Yeah. Seems kind of funny. But I guess a lot of these dads want their kids compensated and to some degree, you know, want them to have a future and all these other things, which I'm sure is probably not much of an issue. But to put it into perspective, again, I have some numbers of rookie season drivers and these are rough estimates. Oh, okay. I think that these are not phenomenal. But to this research, Alex Albon's starting season as a rookie was 170K. Compared to 30 
milliones. 40 million at Lewis and 35 at Max. So 170,000. Alex, if you guys remember, also jumped to the Red Bull seat. So he went from being what was Toro Rosso then, Alpha Tauri now, the Red Bull B team, and jumped immediately to being Max's teammate. So somewhere in there, he saw a pay bump, right? Sure. So there was some that obviously was going to be better. Now, fast forward to Alex racing for Williams this season, and Albon is being paid $2 million. So At Williams? At Williams, of all teams. That is really interesting. Man, Toro Rosso really is a feeder team. It is, big time. It's like a feeder team for F1 in F1. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's F2.2. Right. No, seriously. <laughs> it's uh oh, that's funny. It's kind of an interesting and a lot of these teams like Toro Rosso Williams and, and the role that they're playing right now is that feeder team. Uh, or at least, you know, get your feet wet. We're not ready to drop you in a big car yet. But Williams is paying him two million. He's they're the paying pri- him. and he's primary for Williams now with uh, Russell gone. Yeah, yeah, he's primary. He's being paid more than Latifi. So the lowest paid driver at the moment, now this is something that I'm curious of because there's a big difference. And I wonder if this difference plays into some of the change that the sport has seen. The lowest paid driver in the sport right now is Yuki Sonoda, and he's making three quarters of a million. So he's at 750K. So he's just shy of a million, mm-hmm. which now means that everyone has moved up to a million. Mm, gotcha. And Yuki is the only one that's just under that bar. Okay. So we're looking at a million minimum. That's pretty much where it is now. But one thing that was interesting to me is as the sport has increased in popularity and as the sport has gained Netflix momentum, its growth on YouTube, its growth on Instagram, all these things, has that added value to the driver? Because now this also means that you can't just cut drivers. Because back when like Brendan Hartley was a Toro Rosso driver from New Zealand and he raced for Toro Rosso for a season and was let go. And that's not an uncommon tale for the past. But something that's kind of been interesting to me is that we're, we're now in an age where Netflix is documenting, highlighting, and showcasing all these personalities in a light that was never on TV before. Blowing up their personal brand and right. their personal value. And so an Esteban Ocon, who lost his seat at Force India, spent a year out of the sport and was revived through Renault, right? Yeah. And now Alpine. It's interesting because in the past, if you lost your seat in F1, it was kind of the end of the road. Yeah. And Kevin, when we talked about this with Kevin Magnuson, that appeared to be a big part of what he felt too. Was that, this is it. It was over. And he's got a huge fan base now. And when he was let go... All of us were still cheering for him. We're all still wanting him to win in whatever discipline he went on to. Yeah. But now that he's back, he's got a huge fan base. Everyone's super excited for him. And and he got a multi-year deal, which is also a big deal. He's not with Haas for just one season. They promised him more than that. There's a lot of that stuff that's playing into it that I am curious if the development of the popularity of the sport has played a role in. And now all these drivers are making a killing, Hmm. which used to be somebody could come in and make a little, you know, 150K. Do you know back in Schumacher days, he's making that much, but were there guys that are oh, I'm taking sure a few, few thousand dollars home every race? To your point, to some extent, some drivers were 
dying to be in these seats. Yeah. Right? There's only 20. We've talked about how sought after they were. And so taking no salary was something that actually lost Nigel Mansell his seat at Williams. Because Aerdin Senna was so desperate to join Williams in an era where they were so dominant. He said, I will come to your team for this number. And Nigel was being paid a lot more than that number. And they said, we'll have you, clearly. And Nigel was let go. Wow. Craziest part of that story is Nigel was let go the year he won the championship. Holy cow. It was after he won. So the desperation for a good seat also existed, which also created different things. So in Michael Schumacher's era, most dominant driver in the most dominant period of Ferrari, Michael Schumacher making as much money as he was in his era changed the trajectory of how a driver and a team worked together. But in Senna's era, it was like out of desperation, I will take a huge pay cut Hmm. for the right car. And these days, I do think that there's still some element of that. I still think a driver would take a pay cut to go to a better team, which I think is the case with Daniel Ricciardo, if if I'm correct. I think he did get a small pay cut to go to McLaren, but he felt that the opportunity was better. I think in the end, they want to win. More than anything. Yeah, and so that drive to... Survive. That drive to survive, that (laughs) desire to win outweighs any type of cost or pricing that they would be getting paid. So what are these F1 drivers getting paid? They're getting paid in experience in the end. (laughs) They're getting paid in wins. We can tell billionaire boys are just unpaid interns. (laughs) Oh yeah, we should call them that. (laughs) Nicholas Latifi, unpaid intern. In experience. Although you just said Yuki... Is the lowest at seven fifty. So Latifi is being paid a million a year, but that oh, that change that. has just happened in like three or four years. Yeah, that's that's what's crazy. To my research prior to this, I remember seeing a hundred grand and under a million salaries for lots of drivers on the grid. Now they're all over a million. So Latifi's huh. at a million. Joe Guan Yu is at a million. Lance Stroll's at ten million. God bless him. That's just an advance on his inheritance. <laughs> He's not really getting paid. He's just getting it in advance. A little stipend at a time. Hear my smile as I was reading that number. (laughs) Both of these guys are not big fans of Lance. I, Parker, am a pretty big fan. I like the guy. I think he's a good driver. He's a mm. little bit of a goober. He's a little bit of a goober. But he's learning. He's like a baby full. He's learning. <laughs> Mike, tell us about the most interesting contract uh, deal in F1, which is Kimi Raikkonen. You've Oof. told me this before. How cool is Kimi Raikkonen? He's this amount of cool. He's the Iceman, and that makes him cold as ice. You know, Kimi was a very desirable prospect in Formula One. He had won a world championship. He was returning to the sport after taking a break and doing rally car. And Lotus was keen on having a slice of the Raikkonen. So what'd they do? So they offered him a fair slice of the pie. But what they didn't realize is that Kimi was going to deliver. (laughs) Tell us about that bet. Pretty much is a bet. (laughs) It was. It was a bet. They made a deal with the the Iceman. Not the devil, <laughs> the Iceman. Yes, and his, Gerard Lopez was the team boss at Lotus at the time. And he told Kimi that he could have 50,000 euros for every world championship point that you can score. So just every point. Yeah, every point in every race that you score. Keeping in mind that the, like if you win a race, you get like tw- 28 or something. I, I'm, I'm forgetting right now, but... Yeah, like 20 to 30. Yeah, 
So you you know fifty thousand euros per every numbers. point that, that equals numbers. Yeah, and that are large, big numbers, quick. <laughs> and so uh, Kimmy ended up scoring three hundred and ninety points in two years with Lotus. <laughs> so it nearly bankrupted Lotus. <laughs> and his time with the points bonus, uh, the points bonus alone was guaranteeing Kimmy nineteen and a half million. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a fun contract. And so they they hadn't paid him because they couldn't pay him and he straight up was threatening to sit out races because he's like I I signed this agreement. <laughs> that's, that's also a crazy part of it is that he was just ruthless. It's like, "Oh, I'm I'm bankrupting the team I'm racing for." Right. It's like, "Couldn't you just race, dude?" <laughs> Which is such a good example is like all they care about is winning. That's well, not it, in that situation. He just cared about his contract. Oh, yeah, I guess paid. that's true. If he's trying to sit out <laughs> for a race, he cares about the money. Huh. It was a very unique time. That's funny. And, that's a funny uh, story. And a big part of why Lotus is no longer a part of F1. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kimmy, are you serious? Yeah. I mean, they were just out of money. Which is hilarious. The funniest catch-22 win all the championship and close shop. And basically you have to shut pay up. the guy who got it done. <laughs> this is exactly like that experiment they did with, you know, the t- that classic psychology experiment they did with the toddlers where they put them in a room with like one marshmallow and say, okay, I'm going to leave the room. And if you don't eat that one marshmallow, I'm going to come back with five. And then they left the room and came back and the toddler had 50 million marshmallows. (laughs) (laughs) This did not work out for us. This was not what we expected. Well, that is so funny. Yeah, obviously salary plays a big part of the game. And uh, as we've pretty well covered in this podcast, money plays a huge part right. in F1 and uh, and salary is such an enormous part of that, especially for these guys that are performing. Obviously, 85% of the grid are guys that are really eager to be there, are still proving themselves and can't and probably aren't interested in making these huge money demands and money moves. But there's a top elite in every season of two or three guys that can really throw their weight around because they've got results under their belt. And just break that brings us to a question from one of our beloved listeners we love getting questions from you guys keep sending them in Cade asks do you think an American driver will come to Formula One anytime soon Oh, we're close. We we're almost were close. Who's the reserve driver for Haas? Pietro Fittipaldi. Yeah. He sounds like he's born and bred Heartland America. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he's born in Miami. <laughs> and he's he is Brazilian. Yeah, yeah. I think he's like dual citizen or something. But yeah, I mean, reserve American driver on an American team. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. These circuits are going through these cities. It's just a matter of time for one of these little kids in Miami to get inspired. Mm-hmm. Grow up. Just grow up and already. Be, get into F1. Start getting paid those big bucks, young man. Go west. <laughs> Sorry, east. Have we had American drivers before? Oh, yeah. In the past. Mario Andretti technically is considered an American driver to some degree. I mean, he was Italian-born and... Moved to the states in his younger years. He was, you know, under ten years old. Give us a quick little bio about Mario Andretti because we've talked about him, yeah, in a lot of our episodes. 
And what? Give us just just give us a short bio on Mario Andretti. Mario raced everything, and that's why he's such an influential name in motorsport. Is because he raced and succeeded in every discipline. NASCAR. He's like the Bo Jackson of yeah. Formula One history. Please note that. <laughs> uh, hold on. Well, and I, and I, I you Noted. know. Mario is such an influence in the sport that even, you know, Tribe Called Quest, they've got a reference to him lyrically, I'm Andretti on the Momo, I'm Mario Andretti on the Momo. Tribe so, Called Quest also has a reference to Bo Jackson. Do they? Wow. I'm dead serious. Oh my Look at that. Gosh. You don't know Bo or whatever, they talk about it in uh, What's the Scenario? That's crazy. Anyways, <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. But This, this podcast has a lot of hip hop ties. Which is it funny. does. It does. I always appreciate it. <laughs> But yeah, Mario is a very one of those unique successes that he did participate and succeed in every form of motorsport. Yeah, his uh, his dad moved to the states, or his family moved to the states when they were young kids. Mario had a twin brother, and he and his twin brother participated in local races and didn't really tell their parents what they were up to. Cool. And eventually became a professional racing driver. And Who was the big team Mario raced for in F1? He raced for Lotus and Ferrari. Okay. And then I believe even at some point, I think he raced for Tyrrell in the 70s. The 70s. Okay. Um, and he participated in uh, IndyCar and NASCAR, won, uh, won an Indy 500. And, uh, but there was an Andretti curse is what they called it. Mm. Mario, some of Mario's scariest crashes were at the Indianapolis Speedway. Um, same with Michael, his son. The, you know, Mario was just be, was a very influential character throughout that era. Could hold a, hold his own in every discipline and swing his weight around in an F1 paddock and mm. saying, I want this or I want that. But he also was a very cordial and well-spoken person. So always a really good dude. Yeah, any other American F1 drivers? Was like really early ones from the 50s? In the 50s, in the early days of the sport, it was still... Of global right. sport, yeah. but not a lot of Americans because America kind of had its own racing series that they were focused on. American drivers in F1 still to this day is something that like hasn't necessarily been the main focus. It hasn't even been really what for drivers has been. Yo, what's up, Hoss boys? So big surprise. We couldn't finish this episode because we had a big storm and the power went out. So you're going to have to tune in next week when we talk about American drivers in F1. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, and we will check you next week. Hoss Boys out. That's one small podcast. 13th.